on the Empire Podcast this week, Free Fire star Army Hammer dodges a bullet to talk to us. What a lovely chap. Plus all the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that doesn't care what Richard Osman says. Jaffa cakes are not biscuits. They are not biscuits. They're not biscuits. Madness. Madness, Osman. Pointless. So upsetting. Ridiculous. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the Empire Podcast, which this week is brought to you by Lewis Simply Mustard Peeps. Yes, at mustard.co.uk, the insurance comparison site that helps you save time, money and effort. And helping me also save time, money and effort this week are two colleagues of such lethal cunning. Uh, first up is our geek queen, who's about to head off on a marathon that makes watching every episode of Supernatural look like chicken feed. <laughs> and there won't be any topless Winchesters to ease her suffering. It's Helen O'Hara. Hi, yes. How are you? What are you doing? Um, I'm going to Nepal to run through some mountains. It's about 100 miles, a little bit over uh, over an eight-day period. Madness. So it's about it's about half a marathon a day, and it's at 3,000 metres above sea level. Um, but also you go up and down a bit, so there's like up to 2,000 metres of climb a day. I've... I haven't thought this through. You've this is really a terrible haven't. idea. What you am I really thinking? Haven't. Yeah, so um, that's Nepal. I'm going. I'm going to. Um, I'm going to the Himalayas. And you're going to be away for mm-hmm. four weeks. This is the last time, unless you can dial in from Skype now and again. Sure. This is the last time the, the listeners will be able to hear until May. Yeah. Your tones. So just say everything you want to say about the next four weeks. Get it out of your chest. Go, oh my God! Fast and Furious Eight. This is so that's exciting. Alien Covenant. All right, go. Fast and Furious Eight. I'm so excited, and uh-huh. I'm, I don't know when I'm going to see it, and I'm very excited about that. And and uh, the other things, Gardens of the Galaxy. Is April, right? Yep. Yes, Guardians of the Galaxy. But late April, you might be back. Volume two. No, I won't. I don't get back to them until the thirtieth. Is that it? That's it. Okay, you did okay. And you're doing it for charity? I'm doing it for charity. Yes. Um, VirginMoneyGiving. Dot com slash Crazy Mountain Craziness. Yeah. I've pinned it on Twitter anyway. If anybody feels like uh, uh, volunteering, this is not one of those. By the way, this is not one of those deals where you're paying for my holiday. I'm going anyway. Helen has already paid for this stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah, This is good. This is to raise money for a very, very good cause. Uh, I I swooped in yesterday and uh, and donated. uh, And then Kim Newman blew everyone out of the water. Did you see that? I did. Two hundred pound donation. I have long said that Kim Newman is a prince among men, possibly a prince of darkness, but nevertheless a prince. Fine donation. Follow follow the money. Follow the money. Yeah. Where did that come from? Where did that money from? Come? Kim. It's oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, next up on the podcast is a man who's going to be embarking on a marathon of his own. And this one makes yours pale in comparison. It's watching both National Treasure movies at the same time. At the <gasps> same time. At the same time, same Chris. Same time. Diff- two screens. Yeah, I could do that. Yeah, it's yeah. Johnny Pyle. How are Hello, you? Hello, mate. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Uh, I'm well. It's been a long time. Not since I've seen you. It's been like, a long I saw you, time. Like, been I a long you every time. day. But it's been yeah. a long time since I've been here. It's that's nice to be been, back. Yeah, it's good. To, it's good to have you back. You've been watching presumably lots of National Treasure movies in. I do watch it whenever it's on, yeah. You actually did watch it a, w- a couple of weeks ago, didn't you? Well, it was on. Yeah. <laughs> it was on. It's on on your TV all the time. I have a TV specially for it. It's just looping in the uh, in the corner of the room. Are you doing this for charity, watching both National Treasure movies? No, I'm doing it for my pleasure. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, it is time to tackle a question. Uh, and this question comes from... At Sean1Neo via Twitter. Uh, he asks, is any sequel that's changed its main cast member better than the original? So essentially, has recasting someone ever worked? Like when they recast Ben on Sunset Beach and it you know, it just wasn't as good. They recast Ben? Yeah. Wasn't it Ben? Sure they recast Ben on Sunset Beach. He's like the main guy who was with he was Meg, the main right? Guys. Yeah, Ben and Meg, yeah. And so Ben, what, Ben with the evil twin? Yeah, Derek. Oh my goodness. So he, he was recast? I'm pretty sure he was recast. So it was Derek recast? No, Derek, no, it was the same actor, wasn't it? Oh, hang on, maybe it was Meg was recast. I didn't Someone know. was recast. 
I didn't know two old ladies were joining this podcast. It's so exciting. Wow. My uh, my uh, flatmates and I were obsessed with Sunset Beach at university. I said, I said, we don't have much time. This is what I said to Helen yeah, before we no came into the podcast. No digressions. No digressions on the on the question, please, Helen. And immediately here we are talking about Sunset Beach. But anyway, so we were obsessed with it. If you don't know what Sunset Beach is, really, really tacky US daytime soap. Uh, that was, it, was on Channel 5. Was it the one that at one point had a, a dog and a baby talking about everybody's yes. backstory to explain yes. what was going exactly on? It was, it was super surreal. Yes, and we used to have... <laughs> God, I just remembered this. We used to, so they used to be in Channel 5 and at the end of the credits, the credits were so long that the Channel 5 announcer used to get a little bit, uh, a little bit spunky. So he would, he would read out, he would take the piss out of the show and he would read out people's letters. And me and my flatmates wrote in and we got read out on the show. Oh my God. Uh, also, so there was a, a storyline where Ben and Derek, uh, who are twins, uh, Ben is in love with Meg. Derek, the evil twin, takes over Ben's life without no. Meg knowing. No. And, and uh, so every time he would, he would be lovely dovey with Meg and then Meg would go ha 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 and she would walk out the room and she would and then the camera would close up on Derek going soon Meg soon and so my flatmate Graham decided to <laughs> cut out pictures of the actor who played Ben and Derek and hide them around our house with a speech bubble saying soon Chris soon so you would go to the toilet you would flip up the toilet lid and there would be Derek <laughs> looking at your genitalia going soon Chris wow. soon so I've, there we go that's an insight there maybe more than I needed into your life <laughs> you put the toilet lid down at university that was a really re- <laughs> what a wow. civilised bunch you were <laughs> I know I know it's mad madness but yeah right so, so anyway the question the question <laughs> um, which was about recasting does that have to be then the main character or can it be a main character like are we including Don Cheadle who obviously works pretty well are we including Hulk well um, yeah yeah but Hulk, mm, I yes. actually prefer Eric Banner to uh, to don't don't say it Edward oh okay I thought you were going to say I wasn't going to say Ruffalo come on <laughs> don't you know me at all my word okay is any sequel that's changed as main cast member let's take that on uh, at face value main cast member see that rules out uh, I was going to say Evil Dead 2 because that recast Ash's girlfriend mm-hmm. Linda in fact, she was recast again for Army of Darkness, okay. uh, where she was played by Bridget Fonda for like two seconds before she gets killed. So does it also look, lock out like Dumbledore? Not a main character, is it? I mean, well, he's a main character. He's just not. He's a supporting main character, character, I think, isn't he? I mean, oh. he's not. It's not. It's Harry Potter, right? Fine. And then you could possibly make a case for Hermione. So then, who are we talking about? We're talking about Jack Ryan. Jack Ryan. Hmm. Do we think they're better though? Well, Harrison hang on. Ford, better than Alec Baldwin. Yeah. You know what? As a character, I'll give you that because there is not so much for Alec Baldwin to do in Hunt for Red October because it's much more about Sean Connery. Right. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Carry on. Yeah. You happy with that? Yeah, I'm happy. Okay. That's. Uh, that's uh, good. Are we talking about Bond as well? Or See, yeah. Know, does, does Connery still reign supreme there? No, I I think. Uh, but it's just about recasting the character, right? So Roger Moore was recast as Timothy Dalton, which is an upgrade. Right. Yeah. Okay, Dalton. Dalton is the best Bond. Dalton is the best I think, Bond. I think We're we gonna get have, some layers. We have enough distance now that we can look back on that <laughs> and go with absolute certainty, cast iron certainty, <laughs> that Timothy Dalton, who was uh, had a birthday this week, happy birthday, sir! Happy birthday! I Mr. hope people called you Dalton. eating a biscuit. Um, uh, that he is the best Bond, the best Rocketeer villain, the best Mister Pricklepants, and the best Simon Skinner. Uh, I think we can all agree on that. Amen. Uh, yeah. 
I don't know. It's it's really tough. Main character being recast. That's very very rare. Horror Sam films Neil. do it. Sam Neil. Yeah, Damien. Damien. No, Helen. <laughs> no, no. Just You're generally, wrong. Sam Neil is an upgrade. Wrong. That's all I'm saying. But some horror films do do it. Um, yeah. They you know they'll they'll switch characters from, for example, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street three. Patricia Arquette plays I think Kristen, who's like comes to the fore as the main character, and then in Nightmare on Elm Street four, apparently she didn't she wanted more money, so they recast with Tuesday Night, but then they bumped her off quite quickly, which which happened. Is she quite the often. main character though? In no, Elm she's not in Elm Street four. No, Nightmare on Elm Street one. The main character is Nancy, played by Heather Langenkamp, who play who shows up again in Nightmare on Elm Street three. So it's tricky. I can't you know unless you extend the barriers of this question to inc- include supporting characters like Don Cheadle and mm. Linda from Evil Dead, then I think we're in trouble. Well, you see, this is the thing. I'm not really sure. Like recasting Superman doesn't count, right? Because it's a new continuity, right? Uh, yeah, so, yeah, Brand- well... That's, and also Christopher yeah. Reeve is the best one. Yeah, it's true, so, yeah. Unless you're talking Christopher Reeve is an upgrade on George Reeves in the Whoa. TV show, Whoa. which seems, you know, unkind given everything that happened to him, then uh, then, then no, he's, he's the original and best. So, I don't even I think... I was just saying Superman is an example of, sure. a, of, a, mm. of a character who's recast yeah. a number of times, but... Well, in- Batman is cast within the continuity of the franchise. Because uh, Michael Goff plays Alfred in the first four Batman movies, so it's yep. clearly the same continuity, yep. and that he gets recast twice as Val Kilmer and George Clooney. <laughs> I don't think any of those are improvements on Michael Keaton. Agreed. No. So has Sean one Neo stumped us, or are people at home right now screaming at their podcast listening devices, going, "You idiots! You've missed out!" Dot dot dot. Did we not say Jack Ryan was correct? Is Jack Ryan correct? Is I Harrison mean- Ford better than Alec Baldwin as Jack Ryan? He's not better as Trump, but I've not seen his Trump. No, I haven't either. I'm, I'm assuming it's great, but probably not as good as Alec Baldwin's. I love the Hunt for Red October, but I think I think you're right about this. I think I think you're right. I mean, uh, Hunt for Red October is arguably a better film. Uh, Clear and Present Danger is the best Jack Ryan movie. Oh uh, my god! Patriot Games is the best. I think you find Whoa. the sum for all fears. Some of all fears is the best Jack Ryan film. No, I think you find Jack Ryan Shadow Patriot or whatever the hell it was recruit, called. What was recruit. it called? Recruit Patriot. Yeah, you see, I was I, I realised that that was Shadow what I was recruit. left with, and I refused to say it. Yeah. So well done for taking that one, Chris. The only Jack Ryan film to star Sinbad from Brookside. Right. So therefore, automatically better than all the others. So you're saying Chris Pine is the best Jack I Ryan. I am saying, categorically... That's, that's the corner you've painted yourself with in. cast iron certainty, Chris Pine is the best Jack Ryan. He's the best um, Kirk. He's the best Kirk. What? <laughs> what? Wait a minute. Will that be controversial at some point? To some people? Stop it. <laughs> He's the best Kirk. He's the best Kirk. Is, is, is he? Though? I mean, is Carl Urban the best Bones? Ooh, no, no, it's just disrespectful. Stop being disrespectful. I love them both, but they're not. Stop it. Stop it. One day, Sam and Dean Winchester will be recast, and then we'll see how you feel about that. Yes, we will. I'll feel the same yeah. way I do now about you saying that somebody else is better than the original. Feels like Alan Rickman in Die Hard. Sooner or later, we'll get to someone you do care about. <laughs> yes. All right. Okay, so there you go. Sean won Neo. Your question has been categorically, <laughs> definitively answered. Uh, if you were shouting out the podcast listening device, then please do send in some examples and uh, we'll go. Oh, of course. Of course. Why do we not think of that? So, moving on from that, if you want to have your question read out in the Emperor Podcast, then you can do so by sending them in via Twitter, where we're at Emperor Magazine. Use the hashtag Emperor Podcast, just like Sean won Neo did. That's how we saw it. Uh, we're on Facebook as Empire Magazine, and you can uh, email us as well, podcast at empireonline.com. All very, very exciting stuff. Right, movie news. Movie news. Um, should we talk 
frequently about the three Empire Awards? Yes, they happened on That's... Sunday night, and and the host didn't even you know fall over his own feet on stage, so that was awesome. Yeah, yeah. the hosting was very good. The hosting was excellent. Shall we give us a more round of applause, applause for the host? Yes. So uh, well done, Terry White. Terry White. Terry White. There we go. Terry White. See oh, we and I think that, Chris was there as well. So See that was nice. With that. Um, uh, yeah, let's book then book end the movie news with uh, with talking about ourselves. So we'll talk about the awards, <laughs> then we'll talk about the magazine. Uh, I had a blast. I thought it was fantastic. Uh, from where I was uh, through my fail of thinly <laughs> disguised panic, it was it was great fun. It was uh, it was good. Good people were in the room. Fantastic people. Really in great the room, people. Yeah. Everybody yeah. seemed to be happy. Yep. There was a giant shiny three disco ball hanging from the middle of the room at the roundhouse. I house. loved that. I would have taken that home if I had room for it. I'm kind of disappointed that Dame Joan Collins, who was one of the presenters on the night, which astounded me and it was just amazing and she mm. got a standing ovation just for being Dame Joan Collins. Just for Joan being Collins. herself. Have you ever seen Dynasty? I mean, come on. I have. Uh, I was expecting her to start a cat fight with Terry, I'll be honest, and I was slightly <laughs> disappointed that didn't happen. I think happen. Terry would have loved that. That would have been amazing. Yeah. But uh, I was expecting Dame Joan Collins to descend from the ceiling on the giant three disco ball, but mm. at um, her age... It would have been on brand, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, we also obviously had uh, wins on the night for the likes of Patrick Stewart, who was given his award by Ian McKellen. A neat turnaround, which they did it the other way around a few oh, years ago, so that was lovely. We've run out. <laughs> I was like, what are we going to do? Um, uh, Tom Hiddleston won. Uh, who yes. else did we have? Uh, Gareth Edwards was there and Felicity Jones won. Yeah, they were, they were very um, funny. Their acceptance speeches were very, very, really were charming, very funny. Yeah. I spoke to Gareth Edwards again yesterday uh, for something that's coming up uh, in the magazine. And <laughs> have a wild guess what that is. And and um, uh, and he was very, you know, he was taken aback. He was very full of praise mm. for the Empire Awards. And he said something that I didn't believe at the time, and I don't believe now, that he was surprised. To win? To win. Yeah. That Star Wars, that Rogue One, a Star Wars story, the biggest film of last year, he was surprised that that, that eclipsed. Well, the- he said on the Facebook Live interview, he said uh, that basically making a Star Wars film was sort of its own reward for him. Like, that's what he was really excited about. That's... Mm what made his day and so anything on top of that just felt like you know bonus icing on the cake mm. that already has sort of foot tall icing on it I think that's too much but, icing for me well you know he <laughs> I, I guess he has more tolerance for icing but my friend Louise would love that there you go then you see and then uh, he was also wearing I, I don't know if you saw this he was wearing a little uh, one of those little rubber armbands plastic armbands things not the ones you like saw like a Lance Armstrong band. not the one like a Lance Armstrong band yeah and it said in um, oh I've forgotten the name of the alphabet the Star Wars alphabet it's not a Nokian, but anyway, it said uh, "Go Rogue," and he was basically going to be taking that off after the Empire Awards, as the last stop on his sort of Aww. Rogue One journey. And then he spoke to that. Chris on Monday, and, and then he yeah. spoke to Chris on Monday, so that yeah. really fell apart. Yeah. True story. I interviewed Gareth Edwards uh, whilst wearing a Chewbacca dressing gown because <laughs> I was I was doing it from home. You do all your interviews in a Chewbacca dressing gown, don't you? <laughs> Yes. So it was a, a glittering and a delightful evening and a lot of fun, I hope, for all the guests. Certainly for us. They were good people. Good people. Hiddleston was overjoyed to two awards and I. He was very, very happy with that. And Dan Stevens was there, our spirit animal. Our was, spirit animal. And he met his He his met his dad. dad. He met Patrick Stewart. Yeah. So yeah. obviously he's in Legion at the moment. The character, as you know, Johnny, you're nodding your head. The character is, of course, in the comics. Yes. Charles Xavier's son, though. That's not something Harley, that the show yes. has dealt with yet, but... Not yet, no. But... But I it mean, will. But we've dealt with it at the awards. It will. We got them together. We did. We did. I didn't say hello to him. I should have thought of that. I should have got them together and... Yeah. 
Uh, who else was there? I was really uh, delighted to see Monster Calls uh, win uh, Best Sci-Fi slash, fant- slash Fantasy. Very happy for Juan Antonio Bayona and Lewis McDougall. Uh, I, Daniel Blake won Best British Film. Dave Johns won Best Male Newcomer at the ripe old age of 61. Looking forward to seeing what he has in, in the future. Who won Best Female Newcomer? It was Anya Taylor-Joy. Mm-hmm. Uh, who, who had was- a fabulous sparkly dress. But yeah. Good day. Good night all round. The three Empire Awards. If you want to read more coverage about it, it's on the website empireonline.com. Right, what's happening in the world of movie news? Can I just, can I, can I shock you? Please do, Chris. <laughs> Went full party trick. Wait, can I, hang can on. I just, can I just shock you? I like wine. Um, the Fission's going to be in Avengers Infinity War. Now... What? I know. Now... <laughs> Never occurred to me to question it, Chris. Yeah, this is a, which presumably be a shocking expose of the absolute state of movie journalism that this apparently counts as news. So that was a headline on a news story. It's a headline on, on, a, on a news another story on a, on a on a website. Many websites, I'm, I'm guessing, uh, but I one particular website that shall remain unnamed. But you can probably guess it's about films that are coming soon. Huh. And there it was. The Fission will be in an Avengers: Infinity War. As someone pointed out in my Twitter feed, really. Uh, a film about tracking down six MacGuffins will involve a character who has one of them lodged in his head. <laughs> anyway. Well, it's a shock, but it I guess shock. we'll just have to soldier on as best we can. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm bearing up. <laughs> uh, in in other superhero news, there was uh, excitement this week. It's it's not confirmed yet. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. But Deadpool two, Michael Shannon is the front runner to play Cable. Um, which has got to be the best news. I had Johnny down for that, actually, in the office we've seen. I mean, Johnny would have been great, but I guess, you know, you've Thanks, got your guys. work cut yeah. out for you too. It's not confirmed yet, is it, Michael Shannon? So, no. yeah, still exactly. in the running. Have you tested? Have I tested? Yeah, for cable. Oh, right. <laughs> I was going to say, I saw an advert on the bus today saying you could do it before work. <laughs> uh, have you been tested, Johnny? Um, for cable? Yeah. Uh, no. No. But for the other thing, yeah. I think it's uh, important to get tested regularly. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Johnny. Yeah, do check your cable, folks. Uh, okay, so that's a thing that might be happening, um, and if it does, that will be great. I'm excited about this. I think it's uh, it's good casting. Uh, I kind of had my heart set on Ron Perlman a little bit, just because he was being so publicly vocal about it, um, and he's you know he's he's it looks like he stepped out of the comic book sometimes as cable. Um, but Michael Shannon would be great. What was interesting today, I saw. I don't know how true this is, but I saw. The Bigger Boat Film Quiz, who uh, are on Twitter, and they run an amazing film quiz uh, all over London, uh, which we ha- which I haven't gone to for years, for <laughs> just fear of losing. That would be embarrassing, Chris. <laughs> it'd, it'd be like you know the shooters to be like you know John Wayne, the the fabled gunslinger goes into town, and everyone's trying to take pot shots at him. You know, I would just. You know, I, I can't do it. It's too much pressure. Oh, too much pressure. pressure. Anyway, so they said that um, they implied that he might be the bad guy. What? That's, that's kind of interesting. I don't know if that's true or not. It makes sense to me. You know, maybe yeah. he starts off as like quite antagonistic towards Wade Wilson, but and then they have to come together and face a bigger threat. Yeah, but with a knowing wink. That okay. What they're doing has been done before. Okay. Uh, so uh, it's really, really good casting. Michael Shannon has that air of unpredictability, shall we say, that I think that might need. Mm. Uh, what other stories we've got? Uh, Robert Downey Jr. Um, has apparently signed up to play the main character in The Voyage of Dr. Doolittle. Um, so Stephen Gagan's directing uh, after rewriting the script and it will once again adapt the book. Um, you so that may feels remember. like good recasting. Yeah, 
I th- I'm a little agnostic on it. I feel like he's played know-it-alls before, and maybe we don't need him to play another one. But uh, I, he may be incapable of doing anything else. That is also possible. And you know, let's be honest, he's I can't a, really criticize yeah, people for being a know-it-all. Brilliant, brilliant actor. But I do wonder. There's a little bit of Downey Jr. in all of his roles. Yeah, you'd ex- well, yes, but yeah, I guess there is. Uh, so, I mean, the the 1967 musical uh, won Oscars and such. It was kind of terrible, though. Um, the Eddie Murphy <laughs> version in the 90s also uh, kind of terrible. <laughs> kind of yeah. terrible. Um, I have a good feeling about this one. This one, third time's the charm. Is he going to be a better Doctor Doolittle than Philip Schofield, who played the character in a West End musical? Oh, and well. the answer is no. <laughs> of course, it is. Wasn't there a cartoon? Do I remember a cartoon when I was little? Quite possibly. I remember many cartoons when I was little. No, but like a dog. Oh, Ooh, Jason the Wheel Warriors. Oh, no. Troll and the Wheelies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no. No, I don't remember that. Okay, maybe I'm making it up. Carry on. All right, okay. Um, that's exciting. So, also exciting is this, you know, the Justice League trailer is out tomorrow after this podcast comes out, if you're wondering mm. when we're not talking about that. Um, and the Alien Queen has been teased in the new Alien Covenant poster, which is a thing of absolute terrifying hellish nightmarish beauty yeah it's if gorgeous you, if you haven't seen it it's um just basically almost I think it's I'm not sure that they're teasing the alien queen I think what that poster is is more of a collection of almost every iteration of the alien from the franchise uh, with the possible exception of Alien vs Predator and Alien vs Predator Requiem, which they're ignoring, it's it's very it's very deliberately I think Geiger-esque. I mean they, they've talked about getting back to the artwork of the original Geiger paintings rather than even the original film, because the original film just because of the you know strictures of making an alien at the time is quite sort of pipes and tubes and mm. and the artwork is a bit more organic and and that's really it's like organic if everybody was dipped in crude oil you know it's. It's pretty cool, that poster. Well, it's already been printed out and put on the Empire wall. Yeah. We have a number of things stuck on the wall, but they're usually like design spreads, right, for the designers, and that poster is slap bang up there now. Because it's really good. It is really good. Super good. It's a, Yeah, it's Which, awesome. I'm desperate for this movie to be as good as the marketing, because they, 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 they haven't put a foot wrong yet so far for me. I mean, but this is the feeling we had before Prometheus, right? <laughs> no, but this one, they've, they've promised me... But no, but me, this one, but this one. they promised me personally, right? Me personally, they've told me it will be scary. Hell, and they promised me on Prometheus. They, I saw things you people wouldn't believe, <laughs> and it still turned out franchise. to be... That's the other franchise. That's the other franchise. Oh, yeah, that's right. Damn it. Um, and it still turned out to be a big pile of seno, seno poo. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. But we shall see. Also this week, Brie Larson has signed up to play the uh, first female US presidential candidate. Of -hmm. course, you'll remember her, uh, Victoria Woodhull. How could I forget? How could you forget? Who did she lose to? uh, Well, she stood at a time when women didn't actually have the vote, which was a bit of a problem. Um, Mm. So she, you know, it was kind of a a bit of a doomed uh, fight. But, uh, you know, she did a lot to kind of advance the cause of of women's suffrage um, in her 1872 campaign. If I tell you it was the 1872 campaign, of course, you'll know who won. I didn't know who won. Who's that? Wendell w- Williams. Um, uh, Jester A. Arthurs. Um, <laughs> Could be. It was. You don't know. No, I thought not. you know. You usually know this sort of stuff. I don't know. Last US week, you presidents off had a whole St. Patrick's Day so, thing. It's just post Lincoln, right? So who's post Lincoln? Well, it's like several years post Lincoln, but yeah. That's the sign of, of Helen googling. I am googling. Well, somebody has to Google around here. Ulysses S. Grant. I was going to say Ulysses. Where are you? Because yeah. neither of you did that. Because, but he's. But this is what I was talking about, right? He's just after Lincoln-ish, and Ulysses S. Grant was, you know, an important general in the war. 
correct. He was. There you mm. go. Also, he had an animated cartoon named after him. That was a different Ulysses, Chris. He was named after the same Ulysses, though, confusingly. I know that, Helen. Okay. Obviously. Okay, just checking. Thanks. No problem. Thanks for the save. So some news broke last week uh, as well. So that Sony are planning two Spider-Man spin-off movies because apparently they haven't learned from past mistakes. Uh, So here we go. This is Venom is in the works with a release date of 2018, November 2018. And this week there's talk that a... Black Cat slash Silver Sable spin-off movie is also in the works over at Sony. Now, aren't they spider running before they can spider walk again? Doesn't doesn't it feel like maybe they should get Spider-Man Homecoming out and get that in cinemas and get it to a place where everyone loves it and is happy with, with it and, and then maybe do this stuff? Maybe they're convinced they're nearly there already, you know? Maybe yeah. they've they've got access to an early cut and maybe they, they think that's it. Yeah, but they thought that last time. I know, I know. Well, I think last time they were a little bit casting around for new ways to go because they realised that by calling um, Emma Stone Gwen Stacy, they'd completely stalled their own franchise. Like, that's the fundamental mistake that they made. If they'd called her Mary Jane Watson, none of this would have happened. Emma Stone, if she'd played herself. If she'd played Emma Stone, that also would have worked. Yeah. Um, Although there might have been some complaints from fanboys, but only initially. I'm more excited about this than I am about a Venom film because I've just never gotten the whole Venom thing I realise I'm in a minority there but that's the way it goes but you know maybe if it is an expression of of sort of confidence then sure cool yeah I just don't know how it's going to tie in obviously none of us do at this point but Scott Rosenberg and Jeff Pinkner will write the Venom movie Uh, whether Spider-Man will be involved with it I don't know but how do you have Venom without Spider-Man how do you set that up it's it's going to be very interesting does it in fact tie into the MCU because of, we have this other animated Spider-Man movie that isn't so maybe it's a separate thing altogether mm. I don't know it, it, we shall see every day is Christmas Eve uh, and speaking of every day being Christmas Eve uh, we got some we got a present overnight from Bob Iger uh, the big cheese at Disney who revealed some more story details about the Han Solo movie that is going to take place from the ages of 18 to 24 for Han uh, but also he said something that I, I'm not sure about he said we'll also find out how he got his name now oh. I'm worried about that and I, I, you know, in Lord and Miller we trust yes we do but that worries me I mean I've it, said all along I don't want a Han Solo origin story and this is the yeah. kind of stuff I don't want having said that you know Lord and Miller right and, yeah. and all the casting and all the announcements so far have been good and I mean, I made this joke on Twitter this morning, but if his name is really Hanagar Solo Agon, then you know, <laughs> Good it's joke. all off. Thank you, thank you. Right. Worth repeating. I, mean, I didn't realise that it wasn't his real name, and I, I don't think that anyone be. else realised that. And yeah. I mean, I don't know, man. Like, yeah, does that not seem like an extra wrinkle that you just don't need? Maybe Solo this was feels... the dog's name, you know, and then <laughs> <laughs> he just took it. We named the Wookiee Han. Um, I don't know. It just yeah. The, well, you know, let's wait and see. Let's, you know, mm-hmm. obviously, let's, let's, let's save our ire for the Spoiler Special podcast <laughs> next year. Uh, but I'm just, I don't know. I'm a little concerned. I don't think George Lucas intended for that not to be Han Solo's real name. And it just feels a bit, if that is indeed the case, then maybe it's, it feels to me a little bit to be undermining uh, Lucas and undermining the original Star Wars a little bit. In a way that they were really careful not to do with Rogue One. So I'm, I don't know, I'm intrigued. 
I mean, I don't, trepidatious. I suppose it doesn't matter what he's called, right? It's just a name, right? It's just what's a name, in a name, yeah, which we call a rose would smell as sweet. Never mind. Um, maybe, but it's a cool name, though. It is. So maybe that's what it is. He's just like, I don't like my name. My name's cr- right. My name's Crummy. I don't want this name anymore. Han Solo. I'm going to steal the Millennium Falcon from Lando Calrissian. He didn't steal it. He won it. And um, and you know, this is a new me. Hello, ladies. <laughs> but that just makes him kind of yeah, yeah. nerdish and aspirational yeah and, yeah and the, the, the fact that you know I want him to have parents called Jeff and Wendy Solo I, <laughs> I just want that I wanted to be his name from birth like your name you were Johnny Pyle from birth mm. you were Helen O'Hara well you actually you changed your name because of that business but you know <laughs> I, I was Chris Hewitt from birth I just you know or was I oh, were you? <laughs> <laughs> yes I was Chris Agar Hewitt gone yeah <laughs> At this point, it's just people saying, well, let's wait and see. Yeah, uh, you know. And one thing you, you do not have to wait and see, let's have a segue. Absolutely Amazing. nailed it. Don't forget, you can vote for us in the British Podcast Awards. If you were impressed by Let's Segue, <laughs> and you want to see us win the Listener's Choice Award at the British Podcast Please Awards. Please don't make a vote. It's a contingent on that segue, Chris. Please don't I think do I that. pulled people back from, that, from really? the break. With that. I think there were some people who were thinking, oh, this is just literally a bunch of people saying... That's waiting to see about the movie, <laughs> and then I nailed that segue. Right, and you think that's gonna that's gonna clinch it? Yeah, I think so. Okay, that's proper. And they were thinking, oh, maybe I might vote for Wittertainment in the British Podcast Awards, or I might vote for the, the Guardian's Football Weekly, or why are you naming you know, other podcasts? Or, <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know, I might vote for the Red Dwarf Podcast, Smegheads, or whatever podcast you wanted to vote for. And then I did that segue, and they were like, boom. Just hovering one. over, over <laughs> one different one, and suddenly that mouse comes down to ours. Yeah, the drop-down menu's like literally 10,000 choices. <laughs> we need to be at the top of that drop-down menu. Uh, so yes, there's a British Podcast Awards, and um, we are eligible for the Listener's Choice category. And if you like what you've, if you like portions of what you've heard on the Emperor Podcast over the years, and you wanted to vote for us, go to BritishPodcastAwards.com, I think, and uh, and cast your vote. We'd be much, much obliged and and very very grateful. Anyway. The segue, the brilliant segue, was about um, this, this month's issue of Empire. I <laughs> forgot what it was. Segue. Uh, and about how it's on sale now and how you don't have to wait for satisfaction. What? Oh, I see. You okay. see? Because yeah. it's, it's on sale right now. Yeah, you, you can get none satisfaction. No, wait, the other one. You can get. The, yeah. the Rolling Stones were wrong, is what I'm saying. That was a double negative, wasn't it? So you can get. No. You can you, you can get satisfaction. You can't get no satisfaction because you can only get satisfaction. You can only get satisfaction. There you go. It's, uh, it's we nailed impossible. it. So uh, I believe, now scientists, Johnny, I believe have been studying this cover. Oh right. And uh, and I believe that <laughs> Sorry, they did I have. Look like I wasn't paying attention. I believe they've uh, they've confirmed that this is the brightest cover Empire has ever printed. It's, is this correct? I mean, it's a remarkable thing. It's yeah. a disco cover. It is a disco cover. You, you can know also what? Right. hear almost hear the disco coming off it. Someone said that if this was a cereal box, it would give you diabetes. <laughs> Hang on, Helen. We're trying to sell the magazine to people. No, in a good way. <laughs> in a good way. Great diabetes. The good diabetes. Type three. I apologise for sounding flippant about diabetes, which is a serious disease. But it is, you know, it's a sugary cereal. It's a it's a blast of the eighties goodness. Is what I'm saying. Yes. Which is what Guardians of the Galaxy is. Which is which what Guardians just happens of the to be. What's on the cover? <gasps> we Oof. got there in the end. Yes, we we buried the lead somewhat there, I think. Um, Guardians yes. of the Galaxy 2, Volume 2. Yes, Yay. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Dan Jolin. Uh, motherfucker. Dan Jolin Bastard. was on set. 
<laughs> just called him a motherfucker because he was on set of a film I wanted to go on um, he was on set in Atlanta and uh, had a lot of fun with the cast and uh, you know spoke to all all your favourite rockets and Groots and all that sort of stuff um, sadly, he spoke he, to Groot? he spoke to Groot um, probably I don't know and he didn't take my suggestion which was to write a feature that simply said I am Groot over and over huh. and over again Weird that, huh? So strange. It would have yeah. gone down super well. It would have gone down really, really well. Uh, also, in the issue, it is a cracking issue. We have a feature on Park Chan Wook's new movie, the uh, gloriously sexy, very, very weird and sinister The Handmaiden. We have an interview with Peter Capaldi, the best superhero named after a supermarket. Uh, uh-huh. So, uh, as he leaves Doctor Who, we have a feature on Life. Oh, oh Life. life. Uh, with Ryan Reynolds and Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, and this is really interesting. We have, if you listened to the Wolverley Logan spoiler special recently, you will have heard James Dyer, after about five minutes of that discussion, go, oh, I've got a text from Arnold Schwarzenegger, and get up and run out of the room. And he wasn't lying, uh, because he was indeed due to speak Arnold Schwarzenegger at that very, very moment, and he did. And we have uh, an interview with the Austrian Oak about his greatest performances. Uh, that is part of a two-part Arnold Schwarzenegger special. Uh, we have Stephen Ida Souza, the screenwriter of The Running Man, which has become eerily uh, prophetic and eerily true this year in many, many ways, uh, talking about how he wrote that movie. The Empire interview. I went over to Dublin to interview Eric Bana because these are the sacrifices you have to make sometimes. So handsome. Um, I mean, uh, thank interesting. You. Thank you. Oh, you mean him? Yes. Okay. Uh, and then I love this as well. Uh, the third in our director on director series is after the French Connection and the driver. We decided to park the car this time <laughs> and go for Love Actually. Well, we didn't go for Love Actually. Paul Feig the director of Ghostbusters and Spy and Bridesmaids chose Love Actually because he's a big, big fan and he wanted to talk to Richard Curtis. So we got those two guys together. And of course... It is very timely because of course timely, tonight... Which, which we didn't know. Red Nose Day actually... Yep. Uh, ...sees the unofficial short sequel to the movie. The, the official short short sequel to the movie uh, broadcast yes. on TV this evening. So uh, do check it. Tune into yeah. that. Give we them some money. We genuinely did not know that was happening when we set this up. We're and just, then it was announced. We're just that on the button. What can yeah. I tell you? And uh, Richard Curtis actually took time out from, from doing that to fly over to LA to, to talk to Paul Feig for us so we're very very grateful uh, and it's a really really fascinating interview on a movie that I still have massive issues with but if that's that's neither here nor there uh, it's a really really interesting uh, piece of work as well and can I just point out we don't have a lot of time to talk about the, uh, the minutiae of the magazine but the headline this is Spinal Tapas uh, for a story about the trip to Spain yours? no Phil Dissemblian's he does have a way with words. That's also, on good. page 110, that is Phil, right? I mean, that's Phil. It, it is Phil, yeah, 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 he's, Phil. Been, yeah. he's been He's been illustrated. He yeah, has he has. Been. He has been yeah. illustrated. Uh, he's uh, got a new uh, Saturday morning TV series starting. Great. Uh, the Adventures of Phil in Hollywood. Fantastic. That's going to be great. <laughs> Uh, it's it's very very cool there's a lot of great stuff inside the issue there's lots of things in review and preview and lots of things in Johnny's section on screen uh, reviewing the movies that matter and all for just £4.50 and all good and evil news agents right now it's also available digitally of course so do check out the new issue of Empire Hey Helen would you like to have a word about our sponsor, mustard.co.uk? I sure would, because uh, life's all about options, but when it comes to getting the right car, fan, or motorbike insurance, how do you know you've chosen the right policy? Well, at mustard.co.uk, their online price guarantee means you get exactly what you need for some of the best deals in the market. When it comes to getting you great insurance, you can always count on mustard.co.uk. Boom. 
second British podcast award in the bag <laughs> for best sponsorship reedy out thing. <laughs> Time for this week's guest. Uh, he is a fine actor. And I think Helen would say he's a fine actor who shot to prominence when he played twins in The Social Network. Which is your favourite? The one on the left or the one on the right? <laughs> uh, since then, he's mixed blockbusters and indie movies with uh, with ease and he could be seen being very, very cool next week in Ben Wheatley's Free Fire as the fantastic Ord. He is, of course, Army Hammer. Uh, he was in town in October for the London Film Festival. I went along and spoke to him about Free Fire, about his ill-fated stint as Batman in George Miller's Justice League movie and uh, he's the second person I've spoken to recently about the reception meted out to the Lone Ranger so very very interesting take on that coming up unless Emma Thrower who's editing this week's podcast cuts it out enjoy suspense such suspense uh, we're delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by the star of Free Fire, Army Hammer. How are you, sir? Good, Chris. Thanks for having me, man. How are you? Oh, thanks for having me. You know, thanks for being here. It's all, it's all good in this lovely London hotel room. Here we are. Uh, do you know the what glory is, of making is, movies? <laughs> yeah, because you've been here for a while now. You've got two movies at the LFF. Three. Three movies. Yeah, yeah. Of course, that's right. Yeah. Mm. Do you know which project you go? You're you're talking about from day to day. Is I don't know what city I'm in. To be perfectly honest, <laughs> I started answering a question yesterday about the city of Mumbai, which is where I'm actually filming right now. I, yeah. I came literally just for this. And someone was like, "Well, how do you like being here?" I was like, "You know." the city itself and I started talking I go it's pretty hectic and crazy and I go wait a second I'm in London right now oh it's lovely like the air seems so clean compared to Mumbai yeah, absolutely yeah, you must get confused yeah but yeah so you're, you're filming Mumbai Hotel at mm-hmm. the moment yeah uh, Hotel Mumbai we shot for a little while in Adelaide we were down there for a month and a half mm-hmm. and now we're finishing up all the exteriors and a lot of the stuff that we have to shoot in India in India how's that going it's going really well it's super intense I literally spend my so day being chased by Pakistani extremists with AK-47s wow. yeah it's got its perks and of course Free Fire a film mm-hmm. I, I absolutely adore how did you get involved with that because Ben Wheatley has been someone who's been very inward focused in terms of his casting and mm-hmm. obviously this is, takes place in America but how did, yeah. that, how did it come to you someone said do you know anything about Ben Wheatley one day and I said no not really and they said oh you gotta see this movie and they sent me sightseers and I watched it and I thought this is the most sardonically dark funny movie I've seen in a long time like I gotta see what else this guy done and then I went and saw Kill List yeah. and I just thought there's no way this is the same director these are from two totally <laughs> different warped minds both warped but really individually warped minds and then of course you know a field in England really just kind of blew me away I was like what am I watching right now like am I high right now like this is crazy and then the script from Free Fire came along and I read it and I just thought this is really cool and we just had a couple really good Skype sessions the character I play his name is Ord we were just kind of talking about that we were talking about you know what sort of interesting things we could do with it what direction he and Amy his partner and writing partner as well hadn't envisioned and all that and the next thing you know I'm out in Brighton spending a wonderful summer out there shooting a movie <laughs> that's the thing isn't it because the script says Boston Warehouse yeah and yeah, you yeah. shot this in a, in a Brighton was it an old warehouse an old yeah, it was, factory it was the old newspaper printing facility I mean I totally understand it if you're going to shoot a movie that takes place in one warehouse do you want to do it halfway around the world or do you want to do it a five minute drive from your house I don't blame Ben at all <laughs> I know it was amazing you, you go to set and you step into this incredible 1970s Boston warehouse you step outside and there's an Argos and a Marks and uh, Spencer, Marks and Spencer. <laughs> yeah <laughs> It's just, yeah. <laughs> it's just wonderful. Uh, our first week of shooting, you know, because there is a lot of gunfire in the movie, the cops showed up like on the second day and they were like, what's going on around here? And apparently like this warehouse is really connected to the Argus and the Marks and Spencer. So people in the shop were just hearing, am I hearing machine gun fire? Like there's someone <laughs> shooting guns around here. Like what the hell's going on? And so we had to put signs everywhere, like literally all throughout the stores and everything. There will be simulated <laughs> gunfire. Please don't panic. And of course Ben Wheatley comes out and he's like the mayor of Brighton. So people just go, of yeah. course it's Ben. It's oh, it's fine. Ben. Why did you say so? Go on, go on. Go shoot your guns. So were you always meant to be Ord? Pretty much, yeah. It wasn't the case of going through the script and going, Justine, that's maybe that's out of bounds for me, but... I mean, if I really wanted to challenge myself as an actor, I would try Justine, but I just settled for Ord. (laughs) 
Yeah. What was it about Ord? There was a lot of stuff that kind of came out as we were doing it. We obviously had a really good structure that Ben and Amy had given us with the script, but it's very different from sitting in your living room in Brighton writing it than to being in this rubble-filled, detritus-filled warehouse. So everything kind of came to life in really exciting, fun ways. And something that was really kind of fun about Ord that came out was like, this guy's pretty proficient. Like he's maybe the most tactically trained of everybody at this group. He's more or less like a hired gun to make sure that Charlotte's character gets out of this alive kind of yeah. thing. But in spite of that, he spends most of his time kind of like hiding behind shit, smoking joints, like really just kind of waiting for everybody else, you know, just to kind of do their thing. And he's just chilling, you know. We never really go into it on, on the screen or anything, but I just liked the backstory of this guy who was sort of like almost like special forces in Vietnam and like had really seen some shit, you know. And so now he's like in a warehouse where people are kind of shooting each other. And he just really can't be that bothered, you know. <laughs> yeah. So there was a lot of backstory for these characters, was there? Or did you have to make Everybody kind of came or? up with their own. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It wasn't anything that Ben was like, all right, here's your homework. I want you to turn in a binder and journals or anything like that. You know, this is a very pulpy, fun, exciting movie. And if you want to put layers into that, I thought as an actor, I kind of had to give my guy some backstory, some reason to do things or some mm. interesting stuff. So it's not just a bunch of people running around trying to shoot each other. And of course, set in the 1970s, which means obviously one thing, no cell phones. No cell phones. Which is good. But also it means a proliferation of Facial stashes hair. and yeah, yeah. It's a face fuzz fest. It, it, it really a is. A face fuzz fest. That's pretty good. That should be the tagline for the movie. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd come straight from Birth of a Nation. Like I'd literally finished shooting and went home for a couple days to pack and then was going right to Brighton. And Ben was like, don't shave before you get here. And I was like, oh, I don't think you understand. Like I'm rocking this beard that is properly ugly. Like it is just a heinous, <laughs> gross beard. I've been in the sun and sweat and heat of Savannah, Georgia for the last three months. You can't keep this. So I show up and I go into the makeup trailer and say hi to everybody. And they go, okay, so what, what were you thinking with the hair? What did you kind of want to do? And I was like, I have some pictures from some 70 stuff, you know, and every picture that I was pulling out was a guy with a mustache and mutton chops. And I was like, I would love to do this. And I've got the beard. So I think I can just shave this and that and this and that. And they go, yeah, yeah. Literally every single person has come in and said they want a mustache and sideburns. You can't do it. You have a beard. You're sticking with your beard. So I just kept the beard for the movie. The day I was on set, you guys were just hanging out and there was no animosity. It was very much a team spirit going on there. You know, the way they were shooting it, we were in this one warehouse and everything was pre-lit by this guy named Barry Conroy, who's a lighting genius. And Laurie, Ben's DP, they basically pre-lit the entire warehouse. So there was nowhere in there that was out of bounds. You could literally go, you know, I really feel like if this was going on over here, I would run way over there and go hide over there. And he'd go, hey, Barry, can you hit some lights over there? And he'd go, yep. And he'd pull out his iPad and go, whoop, 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 and slide up a couple <laughs> things. And then all of a sudden the lights would just totally raise over there and everything would be and they go, yeah, you can go anywhere you want over there now. But because of that, let's say Ben was shooting, you know, a conversation between Killian and Michael Smiley. And he said, you know what? This angle's not so good. I actually think it would be more interesting shot if I move the camera over here. Oh shit, but that means that I'll see over there. So we need Bree and Babu and we also need Charlto's legs. It would be like that quick where you would go from not working to just working and they'd come and get you and go, they need you on set right now. And you go, okay, 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 okay. Everybody came in every morning, first thing in the morning and stayed all day. It was like being a bunch of like equity theater actors. Like we were just like hanging out in the wing. And as you saw, we had massive dart competitions and we had table tennis competitions. Yeah. And I mean, it was great. Was it filmed largely chronologically? So as people begin to expire mm. on screen, yeah. you say goodbye to them. Yeah, we shot it in. Well, I mean, their body would still be there. <laughs> so they would still have to be there, you know. They would uh, literally have to lie. They would lie just, yeah, they'd have to just lie there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it seems a little bit of a left field choice for American actors to make. Sure. Um, but obviously uh, you're attracted by Ben, by the subject yeah. matter, by the story. But also looking at your career post-social network, you had that period, I think, mm -hmm. where you flirted heavily with blockbusters. Yeah. 
And now you see it's much it was more a very, we had a very contentious relationship and yeah. I decided to walk away. Yeah. <laughs> Mutual decision. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> by the way, you're probably right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But was it also something that now it's much more eclectic in terms of how you choose your projects? I haven't changed the fact that I almost exclusively pick a project depending on the director. And yeah. if it's like a director I really want to work with. Even Lone Ranger was Gore Verbinski. Yeah. I think he is one of America's great directors and his sense of humor is unmatched and unparalleled and he's so smart. It just seemed like a no-brainer to get to work with Gore. It just happened to be on this big movie. And then Man From U.N.C.L.E. was a big one as well, but that was Guy Ritchie. What actor in their right mind wouldn't drop anything to go work with Guy Ritchie? You know? And now it's Ben Wheatley, who I'm equally as excited by and really excited to see what he does after this. So the, the Lone Ranger experience, for example, mm. does that still rankle with you? Because that's a film that every now and again, I'll bump into someone and we'll talk about movies that have been overlooked yeah. or unfairly treated. Yeah, And that definitely seemed to be just... Yeah, someone, someone came up to me yesterday at a premiere who I haven't worked with but would love to work with and they were like I just want to tell you man Lone Ranger was one of my favorite movies that I've ever seen like I watched that recently with my kids and we just laughed like we thought it was amazing and it's great man like I love I love hearing that like you can't control the reaction to anything and especially as an actor once they call cut for the last time my job's really done mm-hmm. so I got the experience of getting to make that movie we've for 10 months just lived in the desert camping like literally camping on location and having bonfires at night and having karaoke parties and then working all day in the hardest, most hellacious conditions, but loving every second because feeling like you're with your family. Like I'm still extremely close with every single person who worked on that movie. I still talk to them all the time. You know, mm-hmm. it became like a family, kind of like this. Like we still have an email chain, all of us that we still like, we still shoot off emails to each other. You know, you get these special experiences and then whatever the reaction is or however it's received is totally out of my control or of out of my power anyway. But you know? is it something that you as an actor become aware of? Because it did feel even at the time as a film was shooting yeah. that the knives were being sharpened. We knew that we had a target on our back and they they hit it i guess you know <laughs> yeah is it tough when you know that's going to happen for me the hardest part of that situation is like seeing how much work and effort gore put into it and jerry bruckheimer and johnny as well and, and everybody else who worked so hard on that movie for so long and then didn't really get to reap any benefits if anything you know maybe negative repercussions in some way i don't know you know mm. one other project i wanted to talk to you about which never happened mm. was uh, george miller's justice league <laughs> that amazing was amazing guys. man uh I would still love to work with George. It was such a fun time being in Australia for a couple of weeks or a month or something like that. And just seeing inside of the George Miller world and how he works is just so incredible. I still have never seen anybody who does it quite like him. That was a straight audition, wasn't it? That was a straight audition process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back, back oh, in the yeah. day. Yeah. It was a huge audition process. It was like a lengthy audition process too. And it was, uh, it was basically, they handed out scenes from movies. Uh-huh. So you had the, you can't handle the truth scene from A Few Good Men. It had the <laughs> network monologue of your meddling with the primal forces of nature, Mr. Beale, you know, that oh, big wow. monologue. Yeah, yeah. So it was like four or five different scenes. You look at it and you go, this one, the actor who did it an Academy Award, like, what am I going to do in this audition scene that's better than that? Like, this is like a mean joke, you know? Yeah. And then the other part of the audition was, we want you to either tell a story of the happiest moment of your life or the saddest moment of your life. Oh, wow. So you had to pick a scene and then a story and you had to go in and do your scene and then tell your story. Which did you choose? Uh, I told a happy story. Ironically, I had just gotten back from Burning Man for like the first time. And I told like a crazy story about being in the middle of the desert in Burning Man and seeing like all this weird, crazy stuff that was so insane. And uh, yeah, that was my story. Oh my God. His logic was, and it seems pretty sound, was anyone yeah. who can get, because I get really animated and excited. He goes, anyone who can get that 
animated and excited can uh-huh. go the other way and go that dark if yeah. we need him to. Yeah. So he was, I guess he was counting on that, maybe. I think a lot of people look back at that uh, movie as one of the, the great lost films, mm. of the, certainly for the last 10, 15 years. Yeah. And you guys got so close, obviously, before the... Oh, yeah, we all wore our costumes. Yeah. You know, it was amazing. I wore, like, the bat suit. It was, it was great. But at the same time, now, as a 30-year-old... Mm. Would I want to watch a 19-year-old Batman? Probably not. Like, you know, like I look back now and I was like, I was a legitimate kid. That's too young. It was just so, it was really young. I mean, look, he's a genius and I'm not going to disagree with anything he says, especially if it's about giving me a job. But I think that in a way, like maybe we dodged a bullet. What's next for you? My wife's going to have a baby and I'm going to take some time and just relax. Amazing. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you, dude. Fantastic. Fantastic. And then you, but you're shooting a whole bunch of stuff in the meantime. Still, I'm still doing the Hotel Mumbai, but once I finish that, I'm I'm just going to take the rest of the year off. And then uh, my wife and I actually we have a bakery in Dallas that we're opening so we it's our second bakery so it's the second in the chain that we're going to start uh, and it opens in November so we'll have to spend a little bit of time there kind of you know wow. doing all that stuff so this is proper diversification this yeah, is... yeah, yeah it's just having a very smart wife <laughs> yeah. we talked about blockbusters and you know <laughs> mutual decisions and whatnot but is that something that you're still interested in or is it very much I want projects that will nourish me as an actor and I mean, again, it will really just come down to the director, because I think if you do it right, who says you can't have both? You know, maybe it's not binary. Maybe you can do something that's a big movie, but do it the right way. I also don't have anybody knocking down my door to give me any offers on big movies. So, Oh, really? Yeah, because I think I've just removed myself from that scene and circuit yeah. and just kind of come to Brighton and make great movies with great people <laughs> that I love doing, you know, and that I have a fantastic time making. Absolutely. I thought we, we spoke actually uh, years ago when The Social Network came mm. out and we talked about your family name and where you come from. And when you decided to go into acting, that there was some opposition from your family. Who wanted you to go into, into Sure. Business? I mean, what good parent goes, you know what? Yeah, why don't you just drop out of high school and go take this job that is the most risky, like it's a bizarre world. And I think if my kids were like, I want to go be an actor, I would be like, the hell you are. No, you're not. Like, I'm, <laughs> you're not going to see all this shit I had to see. And there's no way. Like, uh-uh. I think that's just probably good parenting. <laughs> yeah, but what made you want to choose acting in the first place? I just loved movies, man. Like, I just loved everything about movies. I just remember as a kid, I would watch. Uh, I would, we would go to the movies every weekend, and I would just watch movies, movies, movies. And I was living in the Cayman Islands at the time, and it was only like a two-screen theater. Uh-huh. And at the time, I remember Titanic was so big that they were playing it on both screens for like <laughs> for like months, like literally months. And it wasn't going to stop me. Like, I was still going to the movie and watching Titanic. And like I probably watched it eight times in theaters down there because I wasn't not going to go to the movies and that's just sort of how I approached everything like with acting I just wasn't going to not do it and you know one day hopefully filmmaking but that's great because that means you can focus on a different performance every time so one yeah. time you can watch Leo next time Billy Sane David yeah, exactly, Warner exactly exactly yeah. you know and uh, it's a real film school right there there it is that's, that's all you got to do just watch Titanic eight times but yeah, precisely <laughs> but was there a point when you realized not just that you wanted to act but that you were good at it I think if there's ever a moment where I wake up and I go I'm really good at this acting thing is when it all starts to go downhill <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, as perpetually a, as a, dissatisfied and always hoping for better. Maybe I don't know. As an independent third party, you were good at it. Oh well, thank you, dude. Thank you. <laughs> Fantastic, Army. It's been a pleasure. Thank good to so talk to you again. Today. Thank you. Cheers. Time now for this week's movie reviews, and we're going to start off with life. Oh, life. Oh, life. Um, and uh, who's who's talking about this? Johnny. Johnny. I can do that, talking yeah. about this. Johnny. Why don't you talk about life? What 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 is it? It's a big one to tackle. What's life all about? Yeah. Life is about the International Space Station. Ooh. Yeah, so there's some guys on it, they're doing their astronauty thing, sure. and then they get a probe, and it comes back from Mars with a soil sample, and in that soil sample <gasps> is life. <gasps> Single-celled life, which they 
bring back from its hibernation? Can, sure. yeah. can yeah. single-celled life yeah, can, hibernate? Yeah. Great. That's what it's doing. They bring it back with some sort of glucose solution. Ah, that's sugar, how you, isn't That's it? how you do it, apparently. And then it begins to grow and, like, well, get bigger, which is what grow means. Um, and then they kill it. Well, yeah, probably the safest. Although, you know, as a scientific... It's an accident. They kill it. It's about know. it's about the size of a hand when they kill it. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, no, we've killed it. And then they go and bring it back to life again. Hooray. Except then this beastie is now mad and it tries to escape and try to start to kill them. Uh, cue alien. Oh. As in cue alien the movie. That's right. basically what happens next. It's They're on a space station. They get picked off one by one as they're trying to escape. Whoa. Okay, so a little bit more kind of contemporary kind of an alien. Yeah, set now. So it feels like li- it feels like Gravity and it feels like Alien. Like those two films like together. Okay. Because you've got all the zero G flying around the spaceship and contemporary this is set now and then you've got this alien who is growing bigger and gets more and more powers as and is appears to be basically unkillable they say a thing at one point where every cell does every single job so it's all muscle it's all brain it's all eye every cell does everything of that so it's basically unkillable it becomes this little squid thing that runs around the ship and scuttles outside because it can also live outside which is a bit of a blow because they can't they can't get rid of it yeah they put it outside and it then comes back in but it's you know it's fine it's 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 survived in the vacuum of space so why was it hibernating then that doesn't make any sense they haven't thought this through um can't live forever i think but it certainly lived for enough time they'd be like we don't know how long it'll live outside let's keep it outside for as long as possible then it gets back in and they're like oh because otherwise no movie has to get back in right yeah fair enough I suppose. um so but there's some people on that space uh, station uh rebecca ferguson's on it she's like in charge of not letting the alien get out of where it is so she fails yeah really. um ryan reynolds he's on the ship he is in charge of being a lot like ryan reynolds and he does that very well one would hope uh jake gyllenhaal is there to be kind of like a bit creepy I mean, but uh, you kind of like him he's not nightcrawler creepy and yeah it's it's fine it's it's a pretty effective there are some nice set pieces in it but it's just incredibly reminiscent of two films which is mentioned and it's just not as good as those two films fair enough so chris that's three stars that's life that's what all the people say three stars for that film uh and next up we have the lost city of said yes said the lost city of said starring <laughs> charlie hunnam and robert pattinson uh hell's bells well, it was partly made in Northern Ireland, so we have to say Zed, definitely. This is a slightly hard to categorise film, I find. Um, it's uh, set in 1906 initially, and Percy Harrison Fawcett, Charlie Hunnam's character... Real goes, dude. Real dude. Right. Goes on an expedition into the Amazon. He's meant to be mapping the borders between states. It's part of a sort of a British Geographical Society effort to, you know, stabilise regions, to map borders, to... to keep track of the world and sort of categorise things. I see. But while he's deep, 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 deep in the jungle, like to the point where they're running out of all their supplies, they're diseased, they're, you know, they've lost half of their their party, he finds evidence of what he believes is a lost civilization that once existed in the jungle, like a full, like he thinks there was once a city in the middle and deep, deep, deep in the Amazon. And he comes back with these stories 
and basically nobody particularly has any time for it. And he goes, he basically becomes obsessed. It's a sort of a one man's obsession kind of a, a drama okay. after that point um, about going back and finding out exactly what there is in the jungle. So there's a little bit of uh, Aguero Wrath of God in this, just in, in the sort of the, the hardships of the journey and, and the challenges of the environment. It's reminiscent, I thought, of quite a lot of other possibly slightly better films. Not not that this isn't good, but just it, it has a, a flavour that you, you will have seen before if you've seen those kind of exploration, obsession kind of dramas. But uh, yeah, this is adapted from the New Yorker writer Dave Grant's history of, of the whole sort of unseen affair, but it basically has Fawcett continuing to look for this and, you know, to the point where he goes back with his grown-up son, played by Tom Holland... Not that one or, or that one, the, the oh, Spider-Man the, yeah, one. the other one. The right. other one, the Spider-Man yeah. one. Frequently leaving his wife, who's played by Sienna Miller, behind, who has to kind of endure as best she can without him, sometimes in very straightened circumstances as a result. Robert Pattinson plays one of his uh, his the guys on his team, basically. I think just because he's interested in the material rather than because he particularly wanted an amazing role. So it's kind of fascinating, but it doesn't particularly have a... A strong kind of plot focus, I guess. It's more a, a mood piece. It's more of a, an exploration of this one man's struggle to find okay. something that he's convinced is there. And uh, yeah, it, it it does make you think, uh, but it's not uh, it's not a sort of unending thrill ride. So just know what you're getting in for is basically what I'm saying. And Hunnam is is really surprisingly good on it. I was gonna, that's, that's what I was going to ask you. Yeah. Like, how does he cope with it? No, he's he's good. I mean, he sort of starts off as the kind of, you know, br- very model of a modern major, not, he's not a major general, but he's, you know, a sort of a military guy. Yeah. And he, he sort of builds from there. Um, he's an ambitious guy. He wants to get ahead. He wants to be able to be in a position to provide for his family. That's his sort of uh, rationale as we start out. And then gradually all of this kind of overtakes that. And he becomes much less ambitious for himself and more ambitious for this discovery. He's determined to show that this is real. Okay. Um, so, you know, as a sort of psychological piece, it's really interesting. So we gave it four stars. Last but not least this week is, um, well, it's time to have some chips, isn't it? Yeah, chips. So this is the latest attempt to do a sort of comedy update of an old TV show. Um, the old TV show, of course, about the California Highway Patrol, hence the acronym CHIPS. Um, and it was mostly famous, I think I'm right in saying, I don't, I don't remember it very well. What I remember are the trousers and the boots and the motorcycles. It didn't really have a huge amount going for it in terms of plot, did it? I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't seem to think it made it very big over here certainly not in my household no I think it's it's the kind of thing that was a punchline in other TV shows ever since yeah you know, so that's, it's, it's not the A-team right it's not one no. of those very very iconic 80s shows it's not quite, I mean it's more on the level with T.J. Hooker but it didn't have the great advantage of having William Shatner in it so right. it's it's sort of that level but this is an update so Dax Shepard is a former in this case former X Games cyclist or biker who has just become a member of the California Highway Patrol his stated motivation is that he's trying to rekindle his marriage to Kristen Bell and fair play to them because their marriage must be super strong because if it wasn't there is no way they would portray a couple as dysfunctional as this anyway he's paired with Michael Peña's character uh, who is an undercover FBI agent and he is there to try and sniff out some corrupt cops operating within the chips units uh, and and engaging in all sorts of armed robberies and such. 
but there's no tension in that because we know exactly who the bad guys are from pretty much the get-go and and the couple of bad guys they don't tell you about you can spot about 16 miles away i mean it's it's ludicrously easy so what they're presumably hanging their hat on here and Dak Shepard writes as well as directing is the idea that it's going to be super funny and unfortunately it's really not super funny and it doesn't really make any sense and you know it's one of these films where they've let people go off and riff but haven't pulled them back into some kind of coherent plot at the end of the day like Michael Peña's character you've seen this Johnny I have yeah yeah Michael Peña's character his romantic life is just one series of punchlines after another and none of them match up in any way yeah, or have any bearing on anything so I, yeah I, I don't know who those two characters were they, they seem to be different people at different times depending on what the joke needed to be exactly yeah um, but I mean to say it's not funny right it would be funny to a certain type of person the type of person who thinks that two guys hugging in just their pants and their penises like rubbing against each other through the fabric I mean if you find that funny mm. you'll probably find chips funny that's probably fair I didn't find that that funny <laughs> So I didn't find chips funny. Uh, I I am with you on that. So uh, I give this two stars. I think that seems absolutely spot on. And then very, 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 very finally is a new Power Rangers movie. First of six they're promising slash threatening. Johnny, is it is it any good? Is it worth your time? Well, I'll tell you, Chris. Um, I mean, you would think that actually it might be quite good because it's attracted some fairly decent people to mm. it it's attracted uh, Brian Cranston who plays sort of the Obi-Wan character to the Power Rangers and uh, Elizabeth Banks is Rita Repulsa who is the villain I mean it really is uh, set in its in its roots it can't escape the fact that you know it's ever so slightly crap the Power Rangers <laughs> uh, I mean the villain Rita Repulsa I mean you, you, you hear Brian Cranston say it and you know it just feels wrong it doesn't feel like you know it's not the same as saying Darth Vader it's you know it's Rita Repulsa and actually there's a decent setup here for a, uh, a good teen movie you know they have their issues there is a they've made one of the characters LGBT uh, one of the characters has autism uh, which wasn't in the original Power Rangers but the autism is played for laughs too often Ooh. and it does a thing that so many films do where if you have an autistic character they're on a sliding scale of autism depending on you know how autistic they need someone to be at any one time right so that is uncomfortable mm-hmm. and then the um, the character who is a lesbian she's she's moody beforehand and then you find out she's a lesbian in a throwaway line and then we just move on from it so now we've exp- explained why she was moody for so long because she was a lesbian which doesn't make uh, a whole heap of sense and so these things are never really uh, explored because, you know, there's there's morphine to be done. And so <laughs> the Power Rangers actually get in the way in their own movie because, you know, you, you don't have time to explain, like, all the characters in there and develop their uh, relationships with each other, really, to any real degree because, you know, they've got to suit up and you've got training montages, they've got to fight giant rock monsters. and That old story. Well, exactly. <laughs> Uh, I mean, there are, it, it has its uh, moments. There is a really good uh, running gag about where the uh, crystal or whatever they're trying to find, where that's hidden, and that turns out to be hidden uh, underneath a Krispy Kreme. So Rita Repulsor <laughs> is like trying to find Krispy Kreme, goes in and like eats some donuts. And it's you know that running gag works. There are other uh, there are other one-liners that are you know work for I suppose adults who will be dragged along to this by their kids because it is a kids movie. But it's a kids movie that's over two hours long, which seems preposterous to me. Like, you know, people were shuffling in their seats. There were kids in the screening who were getting up and going out and then being brought back in. And it 
it doesn't really feel like it doesn't feel like it's going to move out of the preteen demographic and it doesn't really feel like it's the perfect movie for them either uh, so uh, in answer to your question Chris no it's not very good really uh, I give it two stars two stars for Power Rangers which means that no it probably isn't worth your time and that is it for this week's Emperor Podcast brought to you by mustard.co.uk join us next week for more film related fun where we'll be joined by Greg Nicotero and Norman Reedus from The Walking Dead ahead of the season 7 finale very very exciting stuff uh, until then it is goodbye for four weeks mm. from Helen goodbye oh god I've made a huge mistake <laughs> what if we don't see you again that thanks Cast your posthumous votes for Helen in the <laughs> British Podcast Awards just by going wow. to the website and clicking on You are on. using my death for your personal glory. You monster. It will be a, such a touching tribute to the late, great Helen O'Hara. <laughs> uh, you better hope I really don't die. Oh, this is going to look terrible. It won't look terrible. It'll be just people will go, oh, that's a, that, was, that was a bit of ill-judged banter, wasn't it? Before Helen keeled over. Oh, God. Also not dying, hopefully, in the next couple of weeks is Johnny Powell. Bye from him. Hope not. Yeah, bye. And it's goodbye from me. I am off to not die. Okay. That seems pretty definitive, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. Yeah, tempting fate a little bit, but fine. Yeah, I've, I've got huge issues with this whole thing. I'm terrified now. Yeah. Maybe we shouldn't leave this booth. Do we have anything we can eat? No? Oh, Sorry, God. No. Do we okay. have to choose who we eat first? I've got too much fat in my bones. Helen's been training. <laughs> yeah. She'd be, she'd be full of meaty goodness. No, it, I'd be tough and stringy. No, I'm not so sure. Okay, it's me, isn't it? That's yeah. fine. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks for joining us. See you next week, or in Helen's case, in May. Thanks for listening. Bye.